0: and our warranty lasts 50 years. Hey there, Bass. I'm Bill Crooked from Crooked Roofing. Should have guessed. <laughs> Love that 50-year warranty thing. Sounds almost legit. It is legit. All 50. Right, sure. That's the beauty of prorating. What are you getting at? Prorating. All us roofers use it. See, every year the warranty gets a little worse, and by the last year, it's pretty much worthless. We don't believe in prorating. Don't get all weird on me now, Seabass. Don't. Call me Seabass. If you don't prorate your warranty, you could be stuck buying someone a new roof in 49 years. And we would. No, I mean, you'd have to pay for the whole thing. That's right. You're not following me. I think I am. Need a loophole. So you only pay 1 49th of a new roof. But that would be Crooked. <laughs> That's me, Bill Crooked. Pleased to meet you. Get off my lawn. True. armadura.ca. Welcome back to the Empire Builders Podcast. Dave Young here alongside Stephen Semple. And Stephen, you just told me the subject of today's podcast, and I don't have a lot for you. I know it's in Pennsylvania. I know I've eaten probably a metric ton of it over (laughs) over the course of my lifetime. (laughs) A proper Um, ton. Without... You know, even giving a thought as to, as to how this company ever started and how they built this empire, I just gobble it down. In fact, we keep a basket of those in the Wizard Academy classroom and, oh my God, they're the bane of my existence. They,
1: they probably go well.
0: So let's hear the story.
1: Well, Hershey's is the great American chocolate bar, right? Yeah. So Hershey's was founded in 1894 in Pennsylvania by Milton Hershey, and today... You can buy their chocolate in 60 countries. They've got 19 plants, 16,000 employees. They make 70 million candies a day. 70 million a day? A day, they do 8 billion in sales.
0: I'm gonna give up. I'm never gonna keep up with that. <laughs> I can't eat 70 million a day. That's
1: definitely a Lucille ball moment at the end of that, <laughs> <laughs> that assembly line. Yeah. So, and they're estimated to be worth, you know, close to, to two billion, two billion dollars, and they do eight billion in sales. So big deal. Big, yeah. big, big deal. And a crazy story when I came across as was like, this is nuts. So Milton started as an apprentice to a candy maker. And in 1873, he opened a candy shop. His first candy shop he opened was in Philadelphia, and he had it for six years, and it failed. Then he moved to Denver, where he became an apprentice for a confectioner, where he learned to make caramels. And he returned to New Jersey to do business with his dad, making cough drops, and that failed. So he decided to return to selling candy to make some money. And his plans were to make caramels, but the way he learned them in Denver, so who he learned from in Denver was how to make caramels with milk, not paraffin. And the result tastes better and frankly has a longer shelf life as well. So it was creamier, smoother, and lasted longer. And no one in the East were making them that way. Okay. So in the summer of 1886, he asked his family for a loan because he's broke and he's a dodging debt collectors And he's had Many failed businesses. So guess what the family family said?
0: Uh, Yes.
1: No, they actually said no. They They said no. They 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 said said no. Like, dude, your track record (laughs) is really not there. We're not going to give you money. But he pushes ahead and he decides to start the Lancaster Caramel Company in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And he starts small. He's walking the streets to sell the caramels. Mm. Then he grows a little bit and he gets a cart. And then he gets a location. And by this time, the family's seen the success in this. And the family backs a loan for him to build a factory.
0: They want a piece of it now. I see how they are.
1: <laughs> so they lend him some money to get a factory. And he gets overextended. In 1887, he's close to failing. Like he's literally on the edge. And he gets an order from an importer to England for $24 hundred dollars two thousand four hundred dollars worth of caramels and to put that in perspective up to this time he's been selling small bags for a penny so twenty five twenty wow. so four hundred dollar order is
2: huge
0: I'm thinking twenty four hundred dollars worth of caramel is that's a lot of caramel today more than I'm gonna eat anyway unless it's really expensive <laughs> <laughs> back then. Wow, that's a lot.
1: Well, this order is enough that he clears his debts and he starts to expand. And he starts making different products. He makes square caramels and circle and bean shaped. He also makes a different line. He makes an expensive whole milk caramel that sells for a dollar a box, along with his less expensive skim milk ones that are 10 for a penny. Hmm. So he does the, you know, here's a really fancy one. And he makes one with cocoa and nuts. And he's now exporting as far away as Japan. Within five years, he's employing 700 workers. In the early 1890s, Milton Hershey is one of the richest men in Pennsylvania. And he's the biggest caramel maker in the United States. But
0: so up to this point, it's mostly caramel.
1: All caramel. Okay. Until 1893. Seven years after starting the caramel business, he's at the World's Fair in Chicago.
0: There we go again, the World's Fair.
1: This famous World's Fair that has impacted so many businesses, this huge thing that had you know, 27 million people visited in a year. And he's walking through one of the pavilions, and he notices the smell of chocolate. And he sees this fully functioning chocolate bar assembly line. And this is new. People have been drinking chocolate forever, but... Mm-hmm. The first chocolate bar was in England in 1847, about 50 years earlier, but it remained in a very expensive luxury. But now mm-hmm. he sees this fully functioning chocolate bar assembly line, and this machine makes chocolate more affordable. On the spot, Hershey's buys the equipment. Says, when the fair is over, I'll take the equipment. Buys the equipment. Because what he feels is that people will eat chocolate every day. A year later, he has the equipment up and running, and he starts the Hershey Chocolate Company.
0: Who invented this machine, and why was it at the at the fair? Was it just fair food? Was it somebody just making chocolate bars for people to eat? Yes,
1: that was it. Okay. They were making fair food. I don't know who invented the machinery, but they were making fair food. And basically what he said is, you don't have to ship that equipment back to where it came from. I'll take
0: it. <laughs> okay. No, he saw that this, this, he's going to take this mainstream. This is not just turkey leg on a stick.
1: So he's making chocolate bars and little cigarettes and gems and flowers. And it makes way less money than the caramel business. But he feels like it has more volume potential. And long comes 1884, four years after starting to make chocolate, Milton notices that the sales of caramel is really starting to drop in the U.K., Hmm. And he discovers tastes are changing. People are losing interest in caramel. But there's also this new chocolate that has come along that they want that is even less expensive. And that is milk chocolate. Yeah. Not the dark chocolate that Hershey is making now, but milk chocolate. And he notices others have figured out how the Swiss are making that chocolate. Because originally it was the Swiss that started with the milk chocolate. That was Nestle. And Cadbury, an English company, figured Mm -hmm. out how to do it. And Cadbury has become so big in England that they built a huge factory in a whole town and housing project. Like Cadbury's built this whole industrial town to support this making of this milk chocolate. And this inspires Hershey. He decides this is what he's going to do. He's going to do what Cadbury did. But making milk chocolate is a heavily guarded secret. But he figures if Cadbury can figure it out, so can he. So here's what Hershey decides to do. He decides to make milk chocolate in the United States. And in 1900, he sells the Caramel Company for a million bucks. Okay. Says, I'm out of caramels. I'm gonna focus all my attention on milk chocolate. He's all in.
0: Stay tuned. We're gonna wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this.
2: Two words, lead flow. If you wanna grow your business, lead flow is, Well, not everything, but it sure can feel that way. You feel the need? The need for leads. And then there's the gnawing questions that plague you whenever you try to boost lead flow. Are you targeting the right customer? Are you saying the right things? Are you advertising in the right places? Are you spending too much or too little? And the ever-present, how can I best use social media? What if you could get those questions answered definitively in 90 minutes? You'd no longer feel the need for leads because now you'd know how to get them. That's what Empire Builders is offering you right now for free and with a guarantee to boot. Go to empirebuildersprogram.com, book a 90 minute Zoom meeting with the empire building expert and boom, questions answered, problems solved. We'll give you the real answers guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yes, our famous no-pitching and no-bitching guarantee. First, we won't pitch you at all. Seriously.
1: If you want to work with us beyond our meeting, you'll have to explicitly ask about moving forward. And the bitching part?
2: If you're not satisfied with the answers, say the word.
1: And I'll pay you cold hard cash for your wasted time. No hard feelings.
2: Now that's a
1: guarantee. Look, empire builders take action. If lead flow is an issue for you, take action on it.
2: Book your Zoom meeting at EmpireBuildersProgram.com.
0: Let's pick up our story where we left off and trust
1: me, you haven't missed a thing. Here's what's crazy. Here's how all in is. This is pushing all the chips across the table. So you sold the caramel company, you got a million bucks, you're gonna do this milk chocolate, you don't know how to make it, but guess what you're gonna start doing? Your goal is you're gonna make this milk chocolate for a nickel, you start building the factory and the town, just like Cadbury did. You've not got a product, you don't know how to make it, you don't got a sale, I'm building a huge factory and a town.
0: Welcome to Hershey, Pennsylvania.
1: Welcome to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, and by the way, I don't know how to make milk chocolate, but I figure I'll figure it out.
0: How hard could it be?
1: How hard (laughs) can it be? Here's the problem. The water in the milk doesn't want to blend with the fatty chocolate cocoa butter. It's like water and oil. When Uh they come together, the bars are crumbly and spoil quickly. But he knows it's possible. So, while the town and factory are being built, he's quickly trying to figure out how to make this milk chocolate. It takes him three years to figure it out.
0: I can picture him sending his, it's like Slugworth spies going into uh, Willy Wonka's plant.
1: Well, imagine the pressure of trying to figure that out. You're watching the factory being built, you're watching the town being built, and the only thing that stands in your way is how do I make this? (laughs) Like, I mean, insane. And finally, he figures it out. And the key is to use condensed milk because condensed milk mm. has less water in it. It's a slightly different flavor than the European chocolate, so it's not the same formulation. But Americans haven't tried the European chocolate, so it's, he's like, well, there's not going to be a comparison. Yeah. They don't know any better. So by 1905, he's got the chocolate bars in the store, and they sell like hotcakes. In 1907, yeah. he launches Kisses. 1908, almond bars, the town grows, he builds a zoo in the town, he builds a leisure park in the town. He was an orphan, so he opens a school for orphan boys. And in March, 1915, his wife Kitty dies from pneumonia and they had no kids. And so what Milton decides to do is give the company to an orphanage. So he starts the Orphan Boys of America and he gives the company in its entirety to that charity. And that charity today is still the largest shareholder and owns the majority voting stock of Hershey's chocolate is owned by the Orphans Boys of America. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? That's,
0: that's amazing.
1: It is amazing. So every time now that you open up a one of those chocolates at the tower, uh huh, a good chunk of that profit is actually going to a charity.
0: I feel so much better now. About eating chocolate.
1: Yeah. But what a crazy story. Like you've got this successful business that is high margin. And yes, sales are starting to drop off. You've got this other business that you haven't figured out yet, but you know is lower margin, but you believe has the potential to be higher volume. And you sell the one and roll the whole way to the other one. Like, That's kind of like Andy Grove and Gordon Moore with Intel back in episode 31, right? Mm -hmm. Where they asked themselves the question of, if we didn't have all this history holding us back, what would we do? You know, so often we see businesses, especially where there's a high margin, one that's declining, and the new business with low margin, that so often they can't make that pivot.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? It's so hard to give up that high margin business. Now, I admire the fact, and I think it was brilliant that he sold the caramel business because that meant he's all in, he's focused, he's burned, you know, he, he's landed on the beaches and burned the boats. There's no going back. And I admire that. That clarity is fantastic. The crazy part was building the factory in the town before you had it figured out. I think that was a little nuts. <laughs>
0: Well, he seemed to have seen and believed what was going on in the the chocolate world with Cadbury and Nestle, at least in Europe. And man, the brilliant move to me is he saw the decline in caramel and found a buyer instead of riding that thing right into the ground.
1: Well, yes, because he saw it early enough that people, others would still see the potential in that
0: business. Somebody would look at it and say, oh, this is a profitable business right now. And uh, he's probably not telling them what he sees as the future of caramel. And I don't know if is the uh, is the uh, uh, what was it the Hershey it wasn't the Hershey caramel company it was the,
1: No it was the it was uh, what the heck was it again the um a Lancaster Caramel Company
0: Lancaster Caramel Are they still around? I who don't know
1: knows? because I don't even know who bought them and whether they would have changed the name They're, they're not a, they're, that hole.
0: they're not an empire that comes to mind I guess is my point.
1: Very true. They are not an empire that comes to mind. (laughs) But you also point out a couple of interesting things. And again, we're always talking about this from innovation and building empires. He saw things in other places, right? He saw what was going on in the UK, both in terms of what was happening with caramel sales, but also what Cadbury was doing and said, wow, I could do that in America. But his first exposure to the chocolate was walking in to that pavilion, right? And sort of going, wow, what is this? What is this? What is this thing? And buying equipment, right? So he didn't have the blinders on of, oh, I'm in the caramel business.
0: Yeah. You'd know that he'd been sampling a lot of chocolates by the time he built that factory, right? He had had all the confidence in the world that this was going to work.
1: You sure did.
0: And the fact that they were doing it, the fact that Cadbury had built a town in England to do this, that had to give you a little confidence.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, the first year of innovation would have been fun. The second year would have been the third year. Man, you want to talk about pressure? <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Man, the town and the factory are almost finished.
0: <laughs> we we gotta find a formula.
1: <laughs> we gotta find a formula. Like right now. <laughs> uh-huh. We are gonna do an episode in future on Eastman Kodak. And when we do the one on Eastman Kodak, I want people to remember this story because the question will be really asked about if Eastman Kodak had acted like Milton Hershey, would their future have turned out differently? Mm. A little preview of things to come.
0: Good story. I'm going to go have a Hershey Nugget, Steve. Thank Fair you. There
1: you go, and you're going to feel good about it now.
0: I feel great about it. <laughs> I'm helping the I'm helping the orphan boys. That's all I'm doing here, That's standing it. here eating chocolate. <laughs> Just like giving money. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at com.